here we are again. Indeed. Episode number 16 of the Tom and Joe Show. 16. <laughs> Over how many years? Six. Oh. I think. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Okay. But I think we said last time that this show is becoming like an annual show anyway, so <laughs> yes. it's not a big deal. No. Uh, yeah, we only tend to do this when we actually have things to talk about anymore. Yeah, well, we don't talk to each other anymore, do we? No, of course Being not. Being that we've been in each other's company for three months. It's, yeah. Uh, every day for three months. Yeah, just to yeah, just to make it clear, because who knows when I'll get the time to actually edit this together and then put well, it out. Indeed. Uh, we are in the time of coronavirus. Well, we're in the time of level three. Yes. Coronavirus. Yes. We've just done the uh, uphill struggle of level four. Mm. And uh, whether level three is abrupt I don't know but still that's well another, if it's anything like level thing. 4 it'll only be here for two weeks and then they'll deem it okay to open everything else up well quite and send us all to our doom yes anyway yeah uh, this, and this whole thing began because of lockdown there were lots mm. of things that happened because of lockdown getting people to sort of uh, I, I suppose the word is not reminisce but put some put some sort of brain cell to thinking about things on a deeper level yeah which is why this that we're going to talk about today mm. happened yeah early days of mm. the uh the lockdown there were a lot of these kind of initiatives kind of challenges concepts initi- yeah. floating around yeah. yeah and this one was one that we both actually partook indeed in. uh it's um albums that greatly influenced uh, our taste in music and life. Yes. Uh, did you struggle? Uh, I struggled with figuring out which ones to put in. Right. Uh, because I think my taste in music is quite varied as mm. it is. Mm. Um, not every album has changed my life. Mm. But certainly, you know, the ones that I picked, I tried to choose ones that actually kind of meant something and did kind of present milestones I suppose right but also informed my taste in music as a whole yeah well I I did it properly Mm. in the fact that it says greatly influenced my taste in music and life and I think that everything I did pick did do that yeah yeah absolutely that's what I'm saying I mean um not changed they're not changed um, the word don't you know, change my life and ridiculous mm. thing to suggest but so it influenced my life yeah yes yeah like I say I, I could have chose any number of albums really I think right but also I, I tried to put mine down almost chronologically oh I didn't do that yeah I, I didn't do that otherwise there would be a very distinct pattern sure as uh, I would explain <laughs> but I mean like chronologically in my life at, at same as right okay but again there would have been a very distinct pattern yeah <laughs> the whole point was you know no explanations reviews just album covers but i know that i had one or two people say well i want to know why you've picked that right and how it's you know wh- yeah what the what the reason behind it is so I think, I think essentially so- this podcast is for for the padding out padding yeah. out the details yeah i think it's also um some people are quite narrow-minded with their own music tastes mm-hmm. and unless you meet them on the same plane yeah as it were 
there is no understanding as to why you've picked what you have and I've found that with a lot of uh, I, I find Facebook in itself quite vacuous yeah people aren't really interested in what you've got to say for yourself there are a couple I think um I, I don't suppose he listens but I think Stevie is a very genuine person who is genuinely interested in everything you've got to say yep. musically and the book one that went on as well yeah he's one of the very few people out there who does give a shit about what you say and do you do you have anyone who fits that uh I wouldn't like to say no because obviously I'm in the world of podcasting mm. and uh, a lot of people on there are but I, I know what you mean Facebook is my least favorite social media site because it's just full of a lot of people uh, it's, it's, it's lost its way looking it? for attention essentially yeah it's, it's lost its way yeah yeah actually I'm finding Instagram is my favorite like there, there's you. no negativity no, on there told you it's great which i think is like the early days of twitter before twitter kind of flipped and now twitter is a lot of people having a go at each other and the, but the thing with instagram is you have to post a picture yeah hence you have to po- post that moment and then everything kind of takes off and this would have been nice to put on there mm. i think because it's a quite a positive task anyway should we crack on shall we do you want to go first or shall i or shall no, we no, you, go, no, you go first uh well, well number my one. first one is probably a bit of a cop-out but it's an album that specifically uh influenced my taste in music and i suppose in a way my life maybe at quite a young age at primary school it was a uh, queen greatest hits volume one Specifically, I mean, I put the picture of the Platinum Collection because, mm. but really it's only one and two that you really need to listen to. I discovered Queen when I was in probably year five or six, which would have made me ten. Cool, I was three. Yeah. Two well, or three. I think <laughs> elsewhere I've kind of said in the past that like my mum my, my didn't have the best taste in music, it's fair to say. She's mm. got much better now. She's better at looking for new music than I am um, but car rides to primary school generally involved Right Said Fred Wet 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 Jason Donovan and Kylie Minogue yeah. that kind of thing or in Victor FM whatever was on there there's there's the potential there for a deep scarring <laughs> which might also explain some things about my taste in music occasionally as well where it's bad mm. but yeah I think sometime around year five and six at probably some sort of disco maybe or maybe it was someone had brought in an album for the class to listen to or something like that and someone brought in greatest hits one Hmm. and you know i mean it's queen isn't it that's interesting actually um I, i i suppose i should have said before we started going down your list was there anything that didn't make the grade i think i'll do that afterwards we'll do that afterwards yeah yeah like kind of honorable mentions because i've only got one i mean you know greatest hits is greatest hits isn't it and i think well, Queen I, are one of the ultimate greatest hits bands let's um there was a greatest hits that came out in the 90s mm-hmm. that started off with bohemian rhapsody then uh another one bites the That's dust greatest hits one yeah. and then killer queen yeah then hold on hold on hold on then um i back, back bottom girls yeah then i think bicycle race yeah then don't stop me now no. um oh uh not 
Oh. You got one in between uh, oh, bicycle bollocks. racing days. Stop me now. Give me a clue. You're my best friend. Yep. Oh, is that in between then? It's then between don't stop me now. Then I think it's save me. It is. Um, and then the flip side starts with I think it's um, good old fashioned love. Oh, it's the other one, which uh, somebody to love. Oh, oh seven seas of rye. No. Anyway, this is not. We're not playing this game. But second side starts c- with crazy little thing. You can see how memorable it yeah, is. Exactly. Just and by that's what I mean. Like, rattling off. <clears throat> and someone who'd never really. I mean, my uncle. Uh, Steve was into Queen and my dad was as well mm. um, so I was aware of them but the when only... you find it on your own it's a little bit different isn't it you know it makes a, an impact and then I remember going to my aunt and uncle's and he had Live at Wembley on VHS and he lent it to me and I watched it over and over again for weeks basically the only reason why I didn't choose a Queen album was because first of all one you you had but also i had to play this truthfully Mm. and by the time i needed an 11 yeah by the time my top 10 had happened with perhaps greater stories attached there was no room for Mm. queen but they they are my one that didn't make the, the list the honourable mention yeah and and would you say that there was a specific album or was it greatest hits as well uh, I um, The Game right is a great album mm. as is Jazz mm. because there are hidden gems on both of those yeah that never make greatest hits they had their pick didn't they really yeah I mean they weren't short of a good song or two were they <laughs> no no well, I mean, when you've got three greatest hits CDs that are all bundled into one and there's not a, a repeat song except for live versions sung by other people. That <laughs> I think the other reason why I didn't choose Queen mm. was because I felt that um, greatest hits didn't really count No, as albums. Yeah, and that's why I, I, I'm aware that it's a cop-out. Yeah. But it was the album that I discovered first, you know, Fine, and okay. it's got everything on it. You know. It does. It does. What about yours? Number one was Dark Side of the Moon. Okay. I came to it late. I can't even tell you how, which is odd. I can't even tell you when. All I know is that it, it ha- every single track, and this is another album where I can rattle off in order. Well, I'm going to, that's just showing off. <laughs> but um, there is something profound in every single track and as a Mm. struggling guitarist I suppose even being able to play a few chords of the openings of some of them is an achievement in itself and a bit of a bit of a moment for me it is the most profound album I think I've ever heard in my life right I don't have anything else to say about it only that there's not much else to say is there it speaks for itself yeah my number two is uh, Enema of the State by Blink-182. <laughs> Terrific. Because they're the first kind of, I wouldn't call them properly alternative, but because they were in the charts, you know, they were they were a pop band. But they were one of the first bands after, say, Feeder that I got properly obsessed with. And... They are a gateway band into a world where I then discovered, you know, The Offspring, Green Day, 
and then going back that's that's where my kind of obsession with punk music begins really with the poppiest of pop punk bands i guess and there's some classic pop songs on there as well you know what's my age again rock show i uh, know rock shows on take off your pants and jacket and they're stupid as well like the name of the album is stupid there's there's a sexy it's clever name. isn't it, it is, i suppose yeah. that um it says that as much as the, the nature of the music is daft yeah the intelligence is in the play on words yeah and there's a, there's a lot of quite interesting there's a couple of songs that they do where the lines overlap with a word that ends one line and begins the next line almost like it should be said twice but they only say it once and it's kind of like a continuous I can't remember exactly what song that is now but they do it on a, on a number of songs um, the word play is brilliant mm. and yeah the humour in it it's good fun it's just dick and fart jokes but I was well, yeah. I was 14 so <laughs> that's what you're into as a, as a lad at 14 you know, you've got to understand as well it kind of coincided with American Pie and all that stuff as well you know I mean Blink-182 actually are in American Pie in the bit where the foreign exchange student is getting undressed in Jim's room. Oh, right, they're, okay. They're practising in a garage and they're on the internet watching because he, he emails it, he thinks Jim emails yeah. it to his friends, but yeah, actually it goes out yeah. to the entire community, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, I didn't realise that. Yeah. Again, they, they're, they're, they're my gateway into slightly harder You're right. punk music. And essentially that's where my love of reading liner notes in album sleeves come from as well. Oh, okay. Fine. You know, finding out people like even the engineer, like, oh, this guy is their engineer, but he's also worked on these albums here, and then seeing if there's a there was a guy called Tom Lord Algae who uh, did all their early albums, Enema of the State, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, which is another interesting play on words as well. Indeed. And then he he appears on like Billy Talent albums and hmm. and, and other bands like that, so. Yeah, uh, and and also reading through the thank you sections and being like, you know, because they often would list bands that they've played with or have inspired them, and so that was always a good way of trying to figure out if you like this, then I'm probably going to like those as well. Mm. So. Mm. Mm. Stupid, stupid pop punk. Well, many people have said the same thing about number two for me, yep. which is um, the. F- first Beatles album Please Please Me right this is I suppose what I could say is that I could have had every single Beatles album here because I grew up listening to this album it was uh, just every almost every day I'd like to say it was every day you know mm. how you how you fabricate things when you're uh, looking back and your, your your memories kind of tell you that it was on all the time my dad always plays music loud he likes the proper experience of every single layer yeah of what's going on and even with an album that was produced in mono still has depths yeah. to it and as, as small as I was I had dad saying listen to the drums here listen to the harmonies mm. And so you do, you listen to the harmonies, you, you listen to, the, to, to Ringo's drumming because he's very underrated as a drummer. Mm-hmm. And then comes the point where the song is so catchy, you want to learn the words. And 
No Beatles album until uh, Sgt Pepper came with the gatefold and the, the lyrics. It was the first album ever to, to have, have lyrics, lyrics in, the, in the sleeve, wasn't it? Well, it was the first Beatles album, but you didn't need them mm. because you could hear the words. Yeah. And uh, opening track of I Saw Her Standing There and then um, Going Into Misery. Then this was the album where they borrowed things written by other people. I think it's made up of sort of half and half. I think it's slightly weighted in their favour with songs they wrote. But the other part of the album is very much um, based on songs by other people that Mm -hmm. they made famous. And uh, it influences your taste because, and I'll come on to it later on down my list, but to start off with a band playing that kind of music in 1962 as their first album to where they finished is staggering transition from Mm. one album to to the next to the next to the next yeah but again as a struggling guitarist playing along to their songs nothing like it yeah there was something that you mentioned in there that i forgot to say about my last one as well is that that listening to the layers and actually focusing until that blink 182 album i'd never listened actively i'd always been more of a passive listener but listening to like the individual the bass line as opposed to the melody of the guitar and stuff you know and and the and the vocal melodies that they were doing between themselves as well mm-hmm. so it's that second album that we're talking about that really uh did that for the two of us i guess yeah number 3 is never mind the bollocks here's the sex pistols because right. again i i came to this late because of following those bands back mm. i was probably aware of the sex pistols but i think there were a lot of bands that I used to see people going around with hoodies of, like Nirvana and No Effects, and Sex Pistols were another one where I was like, oh, it's probably a bit hardcore. Like the people that are wearing these things, they're they're into much kind of heavier music than I'm prepared to listen to. But eventually, I got over that. You know, Nirvana aren't really that heavy. They are in places, but they're not unlistenable. Uh, same with No Effects. No Effects are actually quite poppy most of the time. And and Never Mind the Bollocks is is one of those albums where, like, there's a lot of history around it. And again, they're in a way. Their story is the opposite to the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles weren't around that long. Nine years. Yeah. But the Sex Pistols were around for a year and a half. Mm, I know. Uh, produced one album mm. and some random other bits on the Rock and Roll Swindle, mm. which is after they'd split up. And yet still, they're held up there as like an iconic... The band that comes in like a tornado. Yeah. Destroys everything in its wake and, and fucks And then pisses off. off, yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And again, like the Beatles were that at the tail end of the 60s. They changed the face of music over that period of time. And uh, the Pistols came in, you know, another five or six years later and did the same thing. But in a shorter, again, they burnt not quite as bright, but certainly faster. Mm. And to me, because people always have that thing about, you know, the Pistols or the Ramones, and they're so completely different. American punk, I always thought, was kind of artier than British punk British punk oh, they've got more time to think about it <laughs> yeah 
they have they've got more time to think about but also britain at the early to mid 70s was completely fucked people were really annoyed at everything there was a malaise and there was nothing whereas in america you had like the mc5 and iggy and the stooges kind of bridging that thing from kind of 60s to 70s Mm. there were bands over here like the stranglers i suppose but it's just everything about it it's everything from like the fact that the album cover is yellow and pink and has that ransom note kind of type font to John Lydon's voice being really raspy and horrible and then all the tales about Sid Vicious. Mm-hmm. And and also, when, when you really drill down into the music itself, really, really great hooks, like brilliant guitar lines. Like it's It's all based on stuff like The Faces and The Beatles. Like they were using that kind of song structure but just really distorting everything Mm. so when you take all the shouting away you're left with tunes that Mm. really hold up and never mind the bollocks is an amazing album i stand by it (laughs) it's great splendid number three for me yes that's a bit tame in comparison this was uh, Mosley Shoals by Ocean Colour Scene Mm -hmm. something i discovered when it came out in the um mid 90s riding the wave of the uh, Britpop indie storm really yeah. and I don't think they ever produced anything close to it it's uh, so called after the recording studio in Moseley mm. in Birmingham which is where they're from and Steve Craddock collaborated with Paul Weller on a few things he became his lead guitarist but um, because this, I suppose, again, this is one of those other ones that I can't really... There's not a lot I can say about it, only it fits the bill of what the task was. Right. And one of those albums that I listened to regularly, it was a daily, daily listen. First album I bought on CD as well. Uh, and, you know, when you've got a... You, you buy a CD and you don't have much money in your life. Yeah. It, you're like, well, I've got to play it. I've got to play it all the time. <laughs> And yeah, just iconic because of uh, Riverboat Song, mm. uh, because of The Day We Caught the Train is yeah. number two. And then th- another album, that a song they released off there was called The Circle. Uh, and then much later on, around about sort of track 10 or 11, you get a track called um, You Got It Bad. Really, really good span of songs on that album. Mosley Shoals was mm. number three for me for uh, the reasons they brought me right into the, the, the lap of Britpop. And I, you know me well enough to know that I don't tend to go for the mainstream. Everyone's fighting over Blur or Oasis. <laughs> and yeah. I went to uh, Ocean Colour Scene, but they had an album, certainly had an album, an eponymous album, right. several years before that, around about 1990, 1991, that never got anywhere. There was one single off that called Sway, Right. And I have to be honest, I've never hunted it down really? to listen to. Any particular reason? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I should, but Ocean Colour Scene were a band before indie happened. Mm. And Yeah, because they're not really properly Britpop, are they? They're kind they're of really. between but that and indie. No one gave a shit about them until around about 95 which Mm. is when Mosley Shoals came out so I think one thing I am going to do is hunt down 
the eponymous album and see what it's like but I think I think just going slightly off kilter which I haven't done because I, I, don't, I don't like to do that but REM uh, their early stuff was very overlooked until yeah. uh, Out of Time came out over here and then people went oh they've got what four albums before that yeah let's go those Green and Murmur yeah and um, maybe REM I think but yeah uh, just realising that they had done stuff before but the Ocean Colour Scenes thing that only had one album beforehand and then Mostly Shoals was the, the one that set them off yeah it's funny I always feel like I missed out on the Britpop thing okay yeah I, okay. I don't know what to say to that yeah. because I, I don't I don't think there's such a thing as missing things unless you just aren't interested in it maybe it's that uh, so my number four is uh, Drunken Lullabies by Flogging Molly um, okay, an album I know nothing about. Yeah. They're American-based, but the singer and various members of them are Irish. Folk punk. Kind of a modern pogues, if you like, I suppose. But this particular album, I remember going up to... I think I was going up to a gig. I can't remember which one. But a friend of mine played the song Drunken Lullabies off Drunken Lullabies. And, um, yeah, it was like discovering a new thing you know I was aware of the Pogues but I didn't I thought they were the only band that, that that did that kind of thing plus I suppose at the time maybe the only song I knew from them was Fairytale of New York but finding a new band that no one else really had heard of except this one other person that I knew was quite exciting and opened me up to again going out and finding more kind of folk inspired music I guess which became a big thing for me while in my early to mid 20s I really hit a kind of folky patch but yeah this was the start of it I I listened to this one song on the way to a gig and then went to see them at Reading Festival that summer remembering that I'd been played this one song came out from that gig knowing two or three of the songs almost by heart because they're quite kind of cool and repeat Mm. it's folk isn't it you know Mm. (laughs) Uh, there's a song on there sorry called the Kildare High Road and that's one of the ones that like has a very repetitive motif going all the way through Uh, and I remember singing that to myself for for days afterwards and went out and bought the album Mm. and again went back they only had one album before this uh, called Swagger right Uh, but again, they've become a lifelong... Uh, just I've seen them maybe five or six times since then. Are they your uh, most seen band? No, the Dropkick Murphys are my most seen band. Right. I knew it was uh, one or the other. I think I'm coming up to about 11 times that oh, I've ridiculous. seen them. Yeah, silly. Well worth looking up, I think. <laughs> and that's your number four, yes? Yes. Cool. Uh, my number four is something that... I admitted to not doing with number three with mostly shoals or with ocean colour scene. Number four for me was the eight-legged groove machine by the Wonder Stuff, and uh, this relationship with the Wonder Stuff so came about when they released the ghastly size of a cow. Mm. <laughs> not a fan. Well, not when you've heard the earlier stuff, and this right. was the point. You see. Uh, when they released Size of a Cow they'd expanded to a five piece they'd got a violinist in they were going kind of down this folky route and I then discovered 
that back in 1988, they had released this album called The Eight-Legged Groove Machine on uh, an independent label. And I thought, I need to hear this album. So I went out and got it. And this is at a point where there was no such thing as the internet to kind of give you a taste of what things were going to sound like. Yeah. I bought this CD and I thought, bloody hell, this is great. They were a a stripped-back four-piece at this point. Mm. You could hear the very distinct indie sound that really is unexplainable, but um, you, you can hear that there was nothing fannied about with with the with the production it was really basic yeah but there are some absolute gems on on that album that far outweigh what they produced later on with uh no there, there are some really they they miles hunt struggled to kind of lose the the flavor of the first two albums because hup was the second one mm. uh in my eyes hup is less good but then you've got um, Never Loved Elvis, which is the third album. Right. Oh, there are some absolute gems on Never Loved Elvis, which remind you of the first two albums. But um, uh, the way it influenced my life was my hair became very, very similar to Miles Hunt's. My right. hair was this one length bob, which kind of just skimmed my shoulders okay. with this curly wave in it and I was halfway there anyway and when I saw Miles Hunt looking like like me well, that was it that's how that influenced my life I thought oh I've got the same hair as this guy because you know you like to find a way to tap into these idols of yeah of course and it wasn't musically the the Beatles there was still the Beatles thing going on musically but this was about image mm. instead so that's why this album okay was an inf- influence on me it was because of, of the image standout tracks unbearable which is the last track on it i believe it's the last track there might be another one actually just before but it's sort of not not like a hidden track but it slows everything down and it's uh, a bit like her majesty on right. abbey road uh very very short it's your money i'm after baby is a good one as well but um give 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 me more 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 right Oh, three. They, they, I think um, Give, Give, Give Me More, More, More and It's Your Money I'm After Baby were the ones they released as singles. Mm. Didn't really touch the top 40. Right. But then I wasn't interested in that. No. It wasn't about that at all. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, that's my that's my number four. Okay. Number five for me, I actually had to go back a few years because I'd forgot that Prodigy, Fat of the Land was a massive, massive introduction to electronic music, I guess. So I got very, very into electronic music towards the end of the 90s into the early 2000s. It was stuff like uh, Darude Sandstorm and uh, all those kind of Ibiza-y, chill out type things, you know. Yes. And, uh, yeah, kind of hard trance and that kind of stuff was, uh, was my bag for a while. But a band that really kind of, well, an act that, was both a dance act and a band was was yeah the prodigy and they really kind of came to the fore with fat of the land it was fire starter and breathe with the two big singles off it did you have the eponymous first album and music for the jilted generation no this was my first album by them i was aware of outer space yeah and probably poison 
yeah. off experience. No, Jilt Generation, sorry. Mm. Outer Space was on experience. But they hadn't really caught my attention, I suppose. It was the video for Firestarter. Terrifying. Right. That video. I wasn't I wasn't scared of it. I, I remember it was... Because what was it, 96? It's the fact that it's black and white. Yeah, and, and Keith, Keith is, is just an animal in it. Doing what, bless him, yeah. Keith did. I still can't get my head around the fact that he's not here anymore. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. But yeah, they kind of did that crossover thing where like, it sounded big. And they put on live shows where they had guitars and drums and stuff as well. Like Liam Howlett's a bit of a, again, he's an underrated wizard. Yeah, because the face of the prodigy is Keith, isn't mm. it? But and all the, the other stuff going off on behind him. It's all Liam Howlett. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Without him, there. I mean, Keith was a dancer. He didn't even have, I think it was Firestarter that was his first... Yes, because he did nothing. Lyrics. He did nothing in the first, apart from doing a Bez impression mm. and a terrifying Bez impression. Yeah, it was him and what was the other dancer's name? Leroy. Leroy, that's it. And then Maxim debuted on this, I think, as well. The second right. vocalist, right, who actually does more vocals or did more vocals mm. than Keith. But I don't think there's a Duff song on it as well. Climatize, fuel my fire. Narayan, just everything about it. I think there's only 10 tracks on there, but they're all just hard, hard hitting and energetic. Um, and yeah, that, that video for Firestarter was really, yeah, stripped back, bleak. I'll smack my bitch ups on this album as well, isn't it? Which again is yeah. like, I had an amazing video. There was some controversy around that, wasn't That's there? That's right, the Jonas Ackerman video, where it was, was a first-person... to do with Rohypnol? Uh, in a way, it was like a first-person viewpoint of a night out that goes out of control. Like, this person's going around taking yeah. loads of drugs, molesting people, mm. kicking the shit out of a cabbie at one point, I seem to remember, just getting into loads of scrapes, then ends up going home with a girl and they get it on and it's still all in first person and right at the end the camera looks in the mirror and it's a girl mm. so all this time you're thinking it's a lad but yeah it was definitely it was massively censored because it had all sorts going on in it yeah but then Jonas Ackerland the director is someone who does that kind of thing he makes videos like that right but yeah just yeah open my eyes to that kind of music I went to see them I think three times as well glad that i did now well absolutely yeah my number five goes to the <laughs> other end of the scale to the prodigy it's uh <laughs> it's the beatles second album right with the beatles and as i said right at the start if i had done this not properly because i think i have done it properly but it would if i if i wasn't going to post this on social media i would have done the beatles albums in succession because that's what my life was but other things play influential parts uh, this was the first Beatles album that I wasn't afraid to play the vinyl of right. when I got home from school Okay. because it was introduced to me when I was old enough probably in year 6 primary school, junior school which was when my dad re-bought the vinyl my dad's got all the monos yeah, but he then started to rebuy them in the eighties because they came out in stereo. 
Mm. And this was the first album that I wasn't afraid to handle to put on my dad's prized possession. <laughs> and besides, I was home alone right. for a few hours before my mum got in from work. Oh, so it wasn't that you were old enough to be trusted to put no. this thing on? No. <laughs> I was home alone. Right. I would race home, literally race home, because I knew I was going to play that album. And uh, this was the album where I started to really try to learn to sing okay as well so yeah that that was the influence it had and by this point i'd picked up my my beatles repertoire on guitar was growing a yeah. little bit as well learning a few more songs and really wick up just because i was listening out for these layers yeah. again but yeah so what was it specifically about that album that made you want to run home from school to play it rather than any other of the beatles albums no, nothing specific, right. just that I felt old enough that I could get the vinyl out and put it on because you just there are just certain things that you just do. But equally, I think the opening track is oh no, I I, I don't want to say that because I think I might be wrong um, because it's it's suddenly gone out of my head. <laughs> There's a great song on there called "Hold Me Tight," right, and it's got some really nice diminished chords in the uh, middle eight section mm. that you just keep lifting the needle up and putting it back because you want to hear that bit again because it's great <laughs> but there's nothing there was nothing really about why that album specifically it's just that's the memory I have mm. that's mm. all okay nothing else it won't be long is what it's opening track is right you got there yeah <laughs> your credibility is saved <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, my number six, I'm bringing it down a bit. This is uh, Johnny Cash, American Recordings, Volume 4, specifically. Mm. I need to get a couple of the others because I don't have the entire selection yet. Well, that's got to be done then, hasn't it? Yeah. Although saying that, not that we put CDs on, we could just stick it on Apple Music, really, or a Spotify, whatever. But yeah, this one was... I remember Johnny Cash being like, oh, well, Ring of Fire and, and that, you know, it's it's old kind of country bollocks. But I was lent this album by a guy who I really didn't get on with that I shared a flat with once upon a time. And um, I was like, there's, there's no way you and I have got anything in common at all. There's nothing you can show me musically that I will take to my heart. And he lent me this and it's devastating it's the album with Hurt on it he also does a version of Danny Boy on there he also does I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry he does a Beatles song on there as well he does uh, oh what's the Beatles song oh that's going to do my head in it, it happens to us all. Yeah, I, I I get what you say about Johnny Cash, and you can put him in the category of people who are not great singers, because mm. he's not. He's not a great singer, but he has an interesting range. Yeah, and he can sing Bass. lower than anybody I've yeah. ever heard. It's quite impressive. Yeah, it really is. Oh, he does Bridge Over Troubled Water. Uh, I hung my head. First time ever I saw your face. In My Life is the Beatles song. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. Also, it's the one with Personal Jesus on there as well. I mean, it's just Desperado by the Eagles. 
Streets of Laredo. It's just absolutely I have an interesting, Wichita lineman. I have an interesting uh, story about in my life. Uh-huh. In that everyone thinks it's about women. Right. A particular girl, but mm. it isn't. What is it about? Drugs. Is it? Yes. How surprising. <laughs> But that's all I'm going to say about that because that's another that's another <laughs> thing altogether. Whole other topic. Yes, it is. But yeah, I just the 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 versions that he does on here of the like the cover versions that he does where he makes them somber and heartbreaking. I just think is genius. Like that version of Hurt is astounding. Mm. I can't get through the video without welling up. Personal Jesus is an amazing cover as well that he does. Like it's just absolutely brilliant, and it's it's produced by Rick Rubin as well, who again I was aware of through like System of a Down, Beastie Boys, loads and loads of brilliant artists. Mm. And yeah, it's just uh, even the the Eagles song that he does, Desperado. They've got uh, Glenn Fry on backing vocals. Like you get the guy from the Eagles to do backing vocals for you. That's <laughs> great. Yeah. And it came out around about the same time as Walk the Line as well, Mm -hmm. which is an astounding film. So it was like a perfect storm for me. Yeah, cool. Um, I love that album so much. Good ho. My number six, (laughs) apologies, is Revolver Uh by The Beatles. Oh. But um, this is what I kind of need to know, uh, need to get out there, I guess. When you when you grow up with something, yeah, you accept whatever process is happening with that thing. It's like growing up with a child. You you know they're getting older, but you don't see it because it's happening in front of your eyes every single day. Yeah. And my entire childhood was the Beatles albums from Please Please Me right the way through to uh, Let It Be. Mm. And I didn't bat an eyelid that it was the same band going through this different stage. Yeah. And therefore, when Revolver hit, you forget that if you've if you've grown up with their music and you know every word to every song that they've written, you put away the twenty-year-olds they were back in nineteen sixty-two with with Please Please Me, and suddenly, four years on, they're producing songs that have a place today closing song for example tomorrow never knows yeah is effectively setting sun by the chemical brothers yes they ripped it off entirely (laughs) entirely 30 years later and to do that to be that band where they couldn't hear themselves play and i didn't know any of this i didn't know any Mm. of this until i got a lot older when I started to then want to read about this band who had been in my life since I was two, uh, and I learnt that they did this Shea Stadium gig and basically mimed. Yeah. There was no point in them singing because there was no one could hear you. Well, there was a PA, but it was done through the, uh, the, the speakers, <clears throat> yeah. the, the stadium speakers, and they weren't loud enough because the decibels of the of the screaming fans just eclipsed everything that that they had, and they. As as much as any footage you sh- see of Shea Stadium, and if you can get your hands on that entire gig, congratulations, because it's something that I desperately want. Yeah. 
you, you've got no hope of hearing anything unless you've got the wizardry of today's technology to sort of pick up on on that and then revolver starts off with their understanding and you can see how they grew up because the opening track is Taxman, yeah george harrison and it's because suddenly after producing the albums that they had at this point they were like the tax man's taking our money <laughs> what the fuck is this yeah you mean we're not going to see most of the money we're we're, we're actually making Hence, tax tax man. There's one for you, nineteen for me. Yeah, is a is a great line. But yeah, it's the growing up of a band that I can't not include this album because of the very obvious changes that happen. And we were just talking about in my life, mm. which is on Rubber Soul, which is the album before that. And as much as there, that's about drugs, mm. not about girls. It's delicate enough to kind of get you to think that it is about girls yeah yeah very but clever then, piece of writing but then taxman is a political statement yeah, yeah. dr robert on the same album is about a guy who was interested in lsd and what it did for the the individual who took it mm. so there we go what i will say there's a uh, there's a podcast out there by a guy called anthony it's all about John Lennon. He's managed to get some really interesting interviews with old quarry men and people in John's family and all that. It's called Glass Onion. So anyone into the Beatles definitely needs to go and check that out. Right out. Number seven. Yeah. Again, I kind of I I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> hip hop. So number seven, I, I had to go back to nineteen ninety nine again. The Slim Shady LP. It's the first hip hop album I owned. Again. Eminem's a gateway guy, I guess, really. All the beats on the album were produced by Dr. Dre. He was one of Dr. Dre's little protégés. Um, from there, I went back and found N.W.A. Dr. Dre's own stuff through that is also, you know, Snoop Dogg, all that kind of uh, California hip-hop scene. But what I liked about it was that... It was around about the same time I was getting into punk music. And there's a certain element of punk in it as well. Like that first album is really like all the all the music on it, all the beats and the production is quite basic in the same way that punk beats were. A lot of it is taken from obviously rock songs that have been reused. And it's storytelling as well. It's storytelling from a guy who is clearly working through some problems and that's something that I quite I've always liked storytelling in my songs I like to listen to things that actually have a meaning and a little bit of bollocks and uh, this one certainly did mm. I mean admittedly you know there's there's some very problematic stuff on there oh Kim is uh, Kim is terrifying well yeah so. I mean there was the whole thing about you know is the stuff that he's talking about is it real did he really abuse his wife like this? Did he kill his wife? Do we know? Um, well, I think they married each other twice, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, turns out, no. Mm. But having your husband write songs like that about you and then getting remarried to him... Mm. Like, it was a little bit fucked. He, uh, I went to see him and uh, he used to do these little videos. He'd make 
documentaries of himself, films. Yeah. And just before he came on, he did his version of the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. And there's the end scene, uh, all dark, this torchlight going up to this house or the barn or whatever it is, mm. and the door opening. And he's there, standing in the corner. Yeah. And all the wall on the wall is um, slim shady, slim shady. You know, this graffiti the yeah. entire wall. And then out he comes with the chainsaw and the hockey mask on, and vroom, <laughs> this starts up. And off he goes, and then D twelve come out and everything else. I had the album, have mm. the album. I. I think from certainly think from a female point of view there's a, there's a, an anger in there that I'm not a fan of yeah definitely I mean there, there's like say there's some problematic stuff on there for sure uh, I mean use of the term faggot as well is something that he carries on doing though that's why I've gone off him in recent years where I've grown up a little bit and I don't want to listen to stuff like that no, but I think he needed to exercise whatever demons he had, mm. and he probably did that through his his music. Yeah, but even his new stuff, like the album that came out the other year, he's still using that kind of language, and I'm just like, I, there's not really a place for that anymore. I don't. Well, think. he hasn't he hasn't progressed, has he? In yeah. that sense, yeah. it's unlike the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> my name is was the big one off that and it was quite a poppy kind of you know this is the uh black and white the the gray yeah that's right album cover yeah with it, the yeah. with him and the daughter stood on the end of the pier and yeah that's a it car yes. with legs hanging out the back of it yeah but guilty conscience i thought was quite a good song as well which was kind of telling a story from two different perspectives mm. but then yeah there's a there's a lot of other stuff on there that i'm just i don't think i'd ever go back to now if I'm honest no um, but it was like I say a gateway for me it kind of turned me on to better hip hop music <laughs> but I stuck with him up until like I suppose the third album and then I started mm. not not listening to him anymore I'd found better artists in that genre I yeah, guess yeah. but again like Blink-182 it's that gateway to find better music through that and you know it legitimised a middle class white kid listening to uh to hip hop. Yeah. So your number Well, seven. I'm sorry, it's but it is the last. It is the last Beatles album. <laughs> That's okay. Abbey Road. Uh I haven't missed out a couple and my excuse for missing out a couple in between that because uh, I listened to the albums, got used to the, them in the order that my dad bought them or rebought them. Mm. And he bought Abbey Road before he bought uh, Magical Mystery Tour, which comes in between Revolver and Abbey Road. Uh, Sergeant Pepper I've missed out because I found Abbey Road better. Right. It's got fewer songs that I would skip, for example. Okay. I don't like When I'm 64 on uh, Sergeant Pepper. I'm also not a big fan of Fixing a Hole. Nor am I a fan of a lovely Rita, but um, the rest, the rest are all all fair game. Maxwell Silverhammer is probably my least favourite song on Abbey Road, but I think Octopus's Garden has to be scrubbed. Uh, yeah, it's not great, is it? That's a Ringo song, though, isn't it? Yeah, just give him the shit songs to yeah. do. 
We'll give him one song every couple of albums. Well, he does. He, he has a song on every album. And they're usually the weird... Well, he, he got good deals in the early days, mm. but he always did the cover songs. Right. He, first uh, song he does on Please Please Me is called Boys. Brilliant. Yeah. Not a Beatles song. Written by somebody else. Yeah. Great song if you've never heard it. He also did the uh, Carl Perkins tracks... Act Naturally, Honey Don't. Anyway, going back to Abbey Road, this was the album where my dad learned to play all of the songs that segue, going okay. from Golden Slumbers through to the other end, Carry That Weight, and mm. in between, it's got She Came In Through the Bathroom Window, Polythene Pam, uh, Mean Mr Mustard, and away it goes. And you have to, you can't stop, you have to do all of them. Yeah, it's a strange. You never give the, me your money. the end of that album is quite strange because they are individual tracks. They're individual they? tracks, but, but they, they bleed do, into, yeah. into one, yeah. and then the, the the as I say ends with uh, "Carry That Weight" and mm. and then Her Majesty is a very nice girl. Right at the end, my favourite tracks from there, without a shadow of a doubt, is "I Want You." She's so heavy. Right, amazing song. Yeah, I like that and. Um come together yeah yeah that's brilliant mm. absolutely brilliant but yeah so my dad used to play those on guitar and we'd sing and that's why Abbey Road is is there and, and not any of the other songs at that point or sure. albums at that point number my, eight mm, number eight for me sorry anti-flag an album called for blood and empire which was released in 2006 and it was my first kind of proper foray into proper modern political left-leaning punk rock really a lot of their earlier stuff is a bit more kind of hardcore a little bit loose and i like it but this is where they really hit their stride i don't know how many albums in it is because they've been going since the late 80s but this is where they go a little bit more accessible they even have an acoustic song on there called one trillion dollars which is all about war budgets and what else that could be used for Mm. Uh, but I've never heard an angrier band with a more right on message more than the dead Kennedys Uh, with more of a I would say accessible sound I think more so than the dead Kennedys I think personally but you know again it's all dead Kennedys are great don't get me wrong Love the Dead Kennedys. I wouldn't say great. They're uh, great, yeah. They're mm. they're definitely up there in American kind of hardcore circles but with that, Black true. Flag and that's... Minor Threat and all those. But Anti Flag were the first band that was doing this at the time. Mm. A lot of their their, their really brilliant from? stuff. They I don't actually know. You know, mm. I don't know whether they're DC or not. Let me have a little, just a very, very quick look. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so they're oh, near near Washington. Yeah, I, I really got into this band around this time. I like their political stance, I like the anger, but I also like that they kind of, they do a really hardcore album and then they do quite a poppy album mm. and they can change it up between the two and I, I quite like that. Mm, mm. That diversity, it's not just all one sound. Got to see them last year, this time last year actually, at um, Slam Dunk. Happy days. Yeah, it was good. Cool. 
I take a slightly different turn with number eight. Yeah. I've, I kind of felt that when I was doing this list that, yeah, I could easily wind up with the last remaining Beatles albums that I haven't mentioned. But then I thought something else happened to me musically when I got older, and it was to do with listening to the words. Mm-hmm. Beatles songs aren't about words, they're about the tunes because they are singing, uh, early days they're singing about love and then the, the latter days they're singing about drugs and then they start going more political. But I became quite into writing poetry when I discovered The Doors and I've missed out The Doors because, again, it would have been it would have been a greatest hits and I think that's a little, little bit cheating. So I went thought for... Not the next best thing, but I went for something along the line, same lines of that, and that was uh, loaded by the Velvet Underground. Okay, right. So yeah, it's it's purely because of words, lyrics. I don't think for one minute Lou Reed is a great singer. No. But his drawl, his spoken lyrical drawl, is is great. It fits that band. Yeah, uh, and then this album goes on a little bit of a journey. Because you have uh, Sweet Jane, Oh Sweet Nothing, Rock and Roll is on there. And um, Lonesome Cowboy Bill, <laughs> which is a bit of a, an odd track. But yeah, if you l- listen to to the words, for uh, someone who was trying to write poetry, it was just a bit of an influencer on that front. It makes sense. So yeah. They're very artsy, aren't they? Very so yeah, I think they're, they're a band that I need to look into, Velvet Underground, because they're just one of those bands, aren't they? With with the beauty of Apple Music or Spotify, yeah. you can dip in and decide these days, you, you can do sort of try before you buy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They are one of those that's on my shameful, shamefully overlooked list. So my number nine is mm. Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park. Good Lord. Again, it's... A gateway album, 2001, I started doing the punk thing and I was getting into heavier kind of music and it was, it's just, it's 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 a classic, there's not a single Duff song on there, almost every single song on there became a single, every time another single went into the chart the album came back up to, in the top five, like it was ridiculous, it was in the charts for so long and it was the first band like that where I noticed people who didn't like the kind of music I was into appreciated it because it had that kind of hip hoppy new metal thing to it, which kind of uh, crossed over. But yeah, those first two albums by Linkin Park are, are amazing and really kind of yeah got me into heavier, more metally music. Again, it was my way in, and then mm. from there I looked around for other things. Right. And again, another front man who mm. is no longer with us. Yeah, you you were doing obviously you were doing that, and I, I was doing my Mosley shows at that point. Yeah, exactly. Probably you know not far off the same age, I would imagine. Mm. And it just so it, it's weird, isn't it, that like British music in the early nineties was really where it was at. But by the end of the 90s, people were looking out to America. I think you kind of go on home turf first, don't you, before you start reaching further out? I never did. It's weird. Like the, the uh, yeah, Admittedly, like Feeder, Muse, 
stuff like that U2 were bands that I got into quite early but yeah so maybe maybe mm. but the things that really interested me were American bands mm. I don't know whether it was because they were from somewhere else and that was the of attraction the, the uh, Seattle splurge right yeah I think yeah so obviously early 90s you had Nirvana Soundgarden Pearl Jam all those bands but if you look at the charts in the late 90s to early 2000s it was boy and girl bands UK garage and like just yeah Mm. shit Mm. basically like the UK was producing rubbish music at that time which is a shame really but that's why I like a lot of American music everything on the TV was American as well you know you had friends you had it, it was just saturated yeah possibly I grew up at the wrong time possibly but yeah like that that first Linkin Park album and the second one as well absolutely pure like every single track is an absolute banger mm. and it opened me up to bands like System of a Down Killswitch Engage just more heavy music that I still really like now mm. less so mm. admittedly but those early albums I will go back to excellent mm-hmm. I'm going to America now. Are you? I am with number nine, Back to the 50s, because I, I think I, I think I was born too late. Definitely, right. I should have been born in the 40s, I think. Right, because... so that you'd come of age the end of the 50s, beginning of the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. very much so. We had this in one of our earlier episodes, didn't we, where we were trying to figure out the best decade, and we figured out that the, the well, best it depends. decade... it depends. Musically, I was definitely born in the wrong decade. Yeah. For anything else, I don't know. I think that's that. I think, I think we were specifically talking music. I think there's a argument to be had for both sets of decades, really. But uh, this is the only greatest hits I've gone for. Okay. But that's because I think that the music industry was different then, and mm-hmm. every album comprised of a greatest hits collection, particularly yeah. with this person, because their life was so short. And, and so was their music career and that's uh, Buddy Holly I've gone for Buddy Holly Lives you have again it's an album my dad bought but it starts off with That'll Be The Day yeah that everyone knows and then it just goes on and on and on and on I don't know how many albums he had but I like singing I like playing the guitar mm. and Buddy Holly songs if you can sing them you can learn to play them and vice versa. They're not super intricate. They're not. They're they're cleverly composed. Yeah. But they're not wildly di- uh, difficult at all. Yeah. Uh, and again, this this was uh, an album that I picked a few songs and s- strummed along and learned to sing along to these songs. And then I learned a little bit about the man and the the. the the tragedy and where I was at the age of 22 and the fact that he died at the age of 22 just you know, that thing is is just so sad yeah but what a, what a legacy he left behind what a bunch of songs he left behind yeah I didn't know much about him for a long time and you kind of imagine like the number of hits that he had and the number of places that he's mentioned as an inspiration to people you kind of think well he must have been around for I knew he died in a plane crash but mm. I didn't realise he was 22 
Yeah. And that plane took down the Big Bopper yeah. and Richie Valens as well. Yeah. But we've talked about this. We've talked about this in biopics. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like, he, he was only around for a number of... Unbelievable. What, three years or something. Not even but that, how maybe. easy was it to make a record back then? Exactly, yeah, you yeah. Could, you could turn up and go, I've got this song, go into a recording yeah. studio, and somebody would go, oh, I like that. Let's stick I mean, that on vinyl. I, Fuck that. Ironically, it's just as simple to do that now because you only need a laptop and a microphone. Not even a microphone most of the time. You just need software. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. But the problem these days is there are more outlets mm-hmm. and the audience is more there, there's more choice for the audience so you're not uh, I, like I, you wouldn't I, be able to get straight onto the radio with something necessarily but i also think music is more expendable today you, absolutely you, you yeah. are yeah. less of a name yeah unlike him there but you talked about johnny cash and we know how difficult he found it yeah trying to get a, cut a record and then he mm-hmm. did uh, i think it was Folsom prison blues yeah and the guy suddenly went because he wasn't playing just the same old gospel stuff. Yeah. He was playing something that he wrote. And it's the same with Buddy Holly, isn't it? Like, yeah. those aren't yeah, they recycled. Had do, they had to do the gospel stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they all thought they were black. Yeah, that's right. And then when a bunch of white guys turned up, are you Buddy Holly? Well, we thought you were black. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Amazing. What a man. Yeah, what a 100%. Waste. And we only just watched the biopic a, a few yeah, weeks with, ago, with, didn't we? Uh, with Gary, Gary Busey. Busey. Yeah. yeah, what a waste. What a waste. Anyway. Mm, absolutely. Uh, so we come to our final ones. My number 10 is uh, Love, Ire and Song by Frank Turner. Again, every single song. I find, I find his way of writing lyrics and telling stories so relatable. I don't know whether it's because... I've lived not a similar life to him, but I don't know. There's there's a way that he writes music that I find mirrors a lot of my own experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never found a single songwriter where I can relate to probably ninety percent of all the songs he's ever written. And by now, he's on his like seventh or eighth album. Mm-hmm. I prefer his earlier work where it's just him and an acoustic and the occasional bit of backup. I'm not a big fan of the whole band thing that he's got now. The Sleeping Souls. Yeah. However, they're brilliant as well. Mm. And I understand that it's a progression, Mm. you know. And the fact that he came from hardcore punk as well, like he was the singer in a hardcore punk band. Million Dead were another band that I kind of, I was never massively into, but I was aware of. Mm. So he's always kind of been there in my periphery. And this album was the one where he kind of forced to the forefront for me. And yeah, that that one album, every single song on it, I can relate to in some is way. That it's where bizarre. It I, the the tattoo that I've got on me is uh, yeah. Is it from the album? Long Live the Queen is off the album. Yeah, and again, very similar, very very similar. It was bizarre, bizarrely similar. And a bunch of us from High Wycombe have all got that tattooed on us somewhere. And there's this song in there called God Save the Queen, and it's all about a friend of his that dies very young and we had that happen to us while we were there in our second year probably the beginning of our third year actually and uh, it mirrored exactly what we'd gone through really and that was bizarre and we all kind of heard it this song at the same time and started texting each other being like oh have you heard this song it's it's ridiculous it's clearly Mm -hmm. 
about what we've all been through. But yeah, I don't know whether it's just me or people of my age and background or, you know, people who are into the same music as me. I don't know. It's just Mm. I've never known a songwriter to write exactly about things that I have also experienced. It's bizarre. But I know I'm not alone of his fans. His fans all have that Mm. kind of thing. He's just a very talented storyteller. Right. It's kind of folky storytelling with a bit of punk thrown in occasionally. Mm. But yeah, love it. Fantastic. And yours? This is a real standout actually you've it's, wanted uh, to do an entire podcast on this yeah, album so i need you? to be careful you need to <laughs> you need to uh you need to rein me in because i don't want to talk about too much i'm gonna what i've been trying to do the last uh hour or so is think how i'm going to condense this mm. into about two minutes <laughs> less than that Tough. if i can the album i'm talking about is uh mcmxc which is 1990 by uh, enigma and uh it's an influential album in the sense that uh, it's mostly in either Latin or French or both with the odd smattering of English but it really does require a breakdown of every single track because it starts off with a woman saying good evening this is the voice of Enigma in the next hour we will take you on a journey of music of spirit and meditation turn off the light take a deep breath and relax now you see how how well does that go in and the minute i hear that i can smell incense because i used to burn oils and i can smell straight away i can smell this this incense and i suppose people would put it in a i don't know what what it's experiment electronic kind of it's music, almost like the origins of trip hop isn't it like but massive attack and things but it has gregorian chant in it yeah and suddenly i became a huge fan of gregorian chant mm-hmm. i have uh, an album mm. of i've got a triple album which you can stick on and suddenly you're you're there in a church and what you want to think about immediately are all these benedictine monks but then you know you know deep down that they're just these guys and actually standing there in jeans and t-shirt and it's really disappointing to think about that i never get that in my mind though in the mind it's 12th 13th 14th century the crypt of a church Mm. or cathedral and faceless monks chanting this fabulous stuff and this album incorporates that not too much of it just enough but it's also the other experimental sounds yeah that are layered it is just an original composition nine tracks i think i don't think there are any more there but my goodness what an album Mm. maybe we'll do uh, a podcast on our number tens Maybe if we listen to them track by track and talk through or something like that, you know, uh, almost like a DVD commentary or something like Mm. that, you know, the things that it reminds us of or whatever, you know? Yeah. I think that would be a really interesting thing Mm. because you've wanted to do a podcast on this particular album for a very long time. Yeah. I think we should do it. 
Yes, because it's not an album I've ever really heard drop by in conversation. No. It's definitely an album that is quite niche for people. Uh, I would imagine that a lot of people have sort of, oh yeah, I've I've heard of it. Yeah, uh, one that didn't quite make it that I was toying with yeah. was Moon Safari by Air. Okay, yeah. On the same sort of line. Mm. But if we're talking about influential albums, this is the one, whereas Moon Safari is not. So you have to, if you're going to play by the rules and play by the rules properly, it's the fact that I could speak about this album for a very long time yeah. says that it ticks that box, box is why it's there. Definitely. But yeah. And well worth a listen, I think, you know. Staggering. Very, very worth looking out, especially if you want to have a little chill out. Oh. You know, close your eyes, take a little Well, as it says trip. at the beginning, <laughs> take a deep breath and relax. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good for that. I will second that. Mm. Uh, what about honourable mentions? Ones well, that I've been sh- doing mine. Yeah, I've yeah. been doing mine. I've said that um, the Beatles albums, not all of them made it. Yeah. Which they could have done. I'm satisfied that I've done. Oh, I suppose one that didn't quite make the cut was Prince Charming by Adam and the Ants. Of course, yeah, yeah. Which is a, an album of my youth. Mm. But it didn't quite make it because it didn't have a life-changing impact on me, only because my parents weren't too impressed with his image and probably didn't want me to be painting <laughs> to start white stripe stripes across, across, across my face. The fact that that album, he hasn't got a white stripe on his face, no. he's got uh, the Austrian flag on his cheek, mm. still, still was a no. <laughs> but still... And I haven't gone for anything Duran Duran related no, simply because you can group all of their stuff into a greatest hits. But yeah. For me, I think I've whittled it down to four in the couple of minutes that I've had while you were talking there. Rage Against the Machines first album. Mm-hmm. The one with the the, the burning, burning Buddhist monk yeah. on the front, self titled, is astounding. Like again, every single one on there is a Solid gold right. banger. Mm. Toxicity by System of a Down. See, we, we, this is not about favourite albums. No, 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 but I know, but what I'm saying is that, like, these aren't just favourite albums. These are albums that made an impact on me, um, might not have influenced my life in any way, but they certainly informed a direction. And Rage Against the Machine, that first album, is incredible. Those songs were still being played in rock clubs up until my mid 20s. Not that I was still frequenting. Mm. Toxicity is another essential album if you're talking about political messages, political bands. They're on the same level. Serge and Tom Morello do a lot of work together. Rancid and Out Come the Wolves is another one, which is um, just an incredible mix-up of pop-punk and ska and an orchestra of wolves by Gallows was a touchstone for me when I was getting into hardcore and playing hardcore music myself, which I was never a huge fan of. But Gallows gave me an entry point. Oh, with Traitors. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm. Traitors. Like, that was that was cool. a big thing for me. It was a very, very specific point in my life. Mm. But Gallows were that band. But it's only Frank Carter, and he's gone on to do the Rattlesnakes now, and they're an amazing band too. After he left, they were no good. 
I would say it seems like you're more chilled out than I am. I'm <laughs> and less that, angry. That kind of reflects our personalities as well, Very which is interesting, so. isn't it? Yeah. I think. Yeah. I'm about singing happy songs. And I'm about getting angry and smashing stuff. Yes. <laughs> but also later in my life, being less angry and more com- contemplative with stuff like the Frank Turner things, trying to chill out a bit, mm. even though my roots are still in that yeah. punk world. Right, Yeah. Cool. But uh, yeah, so hopefully next time we'll be talking more in depth about especially the Enigma album. We'll, yeah. we'll do it. What we'll do is we'll play the album, maybe not over the top of the whole episode, but certainly like I'll hook something up where we can listen to it and talk about it while we're listening to it or something. I'll try and figure something out. Yeah. about that and maybe we'll do one for Love Iron Song as well perhaps I don't know might cool. be a little bit too wanky I'm we'll sure. see but yeah I hope you've enjoyed it yeah first time again in probably a year yeah. I'd imagine probably we always say it we hope not to leave it so long next time but probably let's will let's just stop saying that eh? every summer huh <laughs> indeed <laughs> so yeah until next time I hope everyone's staying safe through this period of weirdness that we're coming out of the end of now not staying safe but staying alert yeah (coughs) wankers yeah right cool (laughs) I'm going to listen to some hardcore punk fantastic see you next time bye bye